As I mentioned just a little bit ago, um, any time that I'm away from you guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Um, it's good, and I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to take a couple of weeks off. And you know, even though it was a staycation, and my honeydew list didn't get honey did. <laughs> Uh, it, it, you know, you need that time of refreshing and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and need the time away to get fed by other preachers. So we go to other churches. We don't just skip church while we're not here. We go to other churches and that. But I, I want to thank you for allowing that opportunity for us to be able to do that. Not every church recognizes that their pastor needs a little bit of time. So I thank you so much for that. I also want to thank CJ and Jacob for filling the pulpit while I was gone. So one of the things that when you're gone, when you're a pastor, you know, God didn't doesn't just give you a couple of weeks off from carrying the burden of the souls of the congregation. So, you know, you're always on my mind. Hey, there's a song in that, isn't there? You want me to sing it? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'll spare you. I'll spare you. But, you know, you're always on my mind. But what a, I guess what a comfort it is to be able to know that the pulpit is going to be filled by people who you trust and who you trust are going to handle the word well. So, and and I know that, that you love those guys and that you're going to come out. I mean, we had great attendance while I was gone, and I'm thankful for that. You didn't do the when the cat's away, the mice will play kind of a thing. So I was I was just thrilled. I was just thrilled. It's a, it's a reminder to me, which I continually need, and I think all of us continually need. It's a reminder that this is God's church. Amen? This isn't Jim's church. This is God's church. And we need that reminder, don't we? So anyway, I appreciate you. I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. It's nice to not have to worry about what's happening here while I'm gone. But you know, not only is it good for me, not only is it necessary for me to be able to take a little bit of time away, it's necessary for you too. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that next week you skip and say, well, preacher said it's good for me to take a break. No, I'm saying it's good for you to gather with the body and hear God's word from a different voice. Sometimes that's a good thing, isn't it? Here's one of the things. I'm one month into my fifth year as your pastor here. Now, some of y'all are thinking that's all it's been, but I'm thinking time flies. Time really flies. Plus, even before I became your pastor here, I preached here for over a year on and off. So you've heard a lot of words coming out of this mouth. You've heard me say a lot of things. That's a lot of sermons that y'all have heard. And some of y'all are like, huh, huh, huh. I mean, we've gone through Nehemiah, we've gone through 1 Peter, we've gone through Hebrews, Joel, First and Second Thessalonians, and now for the past over a year we've been working our way through the book of Acts. Not to mention all the one-off sermons or the mini-series or the times away, you know, all those kinds of things. That's a lot of sermons that you've heard from this voice. That's a lot of words that you've heard from me, from this pulpit, in this environment, in this time frame. A lot of routine. 
And routine can become mind-numbing, can it? If we're not careful. You know, one of the things when, when I do marriage counseling with couples, one of the things that, that you can find out after a couple has been married for a period of time You know, you go through that wonderful honeymoon stage and then you go through the wonderful getting to know and getting comfortable and all of that kind of stuff. And you, and then the next thing that can happen is you can become just routine, right? And when you become routine, you don't listen to each other as well. And you don't respond to each other as well. You can get complacent in your relationship, right? And that can come from, and and that same thing can happen in the church. You can get so used to hearing the same voice over and over and over again that it can become like, uh, is it 12.15 yet? Notice I didn't say 12. (laughs) Right? But we we can get that way. You know, I know that my illustrations, I know that I repeat myself. And the older I get, guess what? Praise Jesus, I'm going to repeat the same stories over and over again and act like I've never told them before. And my jokes, the first time they weren't that funny. So as they continue and they repeat themselves, I know they're going to get less and less funny. That can become the routine. That's the reality, isn't it? If we're not careful, we can become routine to each other. And the danger is when we start to become routine to each other, then it's when we start to settle. And when we start to settle, then it's when we start to just drift along. Just drift along. And when we start to drift along, then it's when we start to become complacent. Let me tell you something. Nothing will kill a church quicker than complacency. Complacency will absolutely, it'll kill a marriage, it'll kill a church. I I don't know if you are familiar with our church calendar or not, but we have started the 1st of September, we started a new church year. And your your pastor is newly refreshed and fired up. So look out. We started a new church year. I'm, I'm refreshed and we have a wide open door of ministry in front of us. I am so excited about some of the things that, some of the opportunities that the Lord is laying in front of us. And because of that, because of all the opportunities, because of all the need that we prayed about and that we sang about and because of all the opportunities, we cannot afford to be complacent. We just can't afford it. There's too much to do. We can't get comfortable now. So here's what we need to do. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to, to you know, shake our heads, kind of like when you start to drift off. I want us to shake our heads, and I want us to rub our eyes, and I want us to stretch our legs, and I want us to get stirred up to the mission that the Lord has in front of us. Get stirred up to run the race that's in front of us. 
See, that's what the Holy Spirit through Peter was doing in this passage here. Peter was writing to a group of people who might not necessarily have been becoming complacent because of just routine. They were becoming complacent because they had been scattered and they were starting to move into the second generation of Christianity and they were starting to see all of these different political things happening around them. And they just kind of wanted to withdraw. So Peter said, I want to stir you up. And that's what this letter is for. Here in our passage this morning and then over in chapter 3, verse 1, he repeats it. He says that he is wanting to stir them up. Stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. In other words, he was going to remind them and remind them and remind them to stir them up, to get their passion stirred up once again. It's interesting that he doesn't do that by teaching them anything that they don't already know. He's not introducing new material to them. He's not being novel. He's not trying to be fresh with them. He's not trying to bring in some new exciting thing to them. No, he's stirring them up by reminding them of the things that he's been consistently telling them all along. All of the things that might, that might cause us to slip into routine, he's using those things to stir them up. And that's what I want to do this morning. So here, here's, <laughs> here's, the, here's the news for you this morning. If you came here looking for something fresh and exciting, you know, it's a each one reach one and all that kind of stuff, we're going to have, you know, something fresh, new, and exciting. If you came here looking for that, sorry, you just got me. <laughs> you just got the same thing. Here's what we're going to have. We're going to have a passionate plea to remember what we're supposed to be doing. And we're going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us, to enable us, to stir us up, to keep doing that with all of our might, to wake us up out of any kind of complacency and stir us up to do that with all of our might. This morning, if nothing else, this morning is a reminder because we need to be stirred up. There are three ways that I want us to, that I want to stir us up. And that by God's grace, as long as He chooses to have me here, we're going to continue to stir up the same way. First, we need to stir, be stirred up persistently. Look back at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore I intend always, I don't know if you circle in your Bible, but you can circle that word always. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. See, these people that Peter was writing to, this wasn't a brand new, a group of brand new Christians. This wasn't folks who were just trying to figure things out for the first time. No, these were folks who knew what was going on. These were folks who were saved. They were, he says, they were well established in the faith. They knew what was going on. They were well grounded. For any of you who have ever taught people something, the hardest group of people to teach something to are the folks that already have it figured out, aren't they? You ever tried to teach something to somebody that already knows what you're teaching them? That's what Peter was doing here. That's what he's talking about here in this passage. Why is it so difficult or why... Even though it's difficult to teach people something that they already know, why is it necessary? It's necessary because we forget, don't we? I know I'm not the only one who forgets stuff. 
we forget so easily. Even when we're entrenched, even when we're rooted and grounded in the gospel, it's easy to forget, isn't it? How easy is it to forget the wonder and the amazement and the beauty and the majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How easy is it to forget what Jesus saved us from? I think some of us have been saved so long we forgot what Jesus saved us from. We forget what it was like to be lost. How easy it is to forget that before Jesus saved us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. How easy is it for us to forget that there was nothing intrinsically in us that made us worthy of the grace of Christ, of the grace of God. How easy is it for, for us to forget that before Jesus saved us, we were enemies of God. We weren't just on the wrong team. We were enemies of God. And we might have been good people. You might have been, you might have had the best resume in town. You might have been a good person, hard worker, kind, loving, generous, good neighbor, good parent. You could check off all the boxes. But outside of a saving relationship of Jesus, all of those things are empty and vain. The Bible would describe them as, as being as empty and vain as a puff of smoke out there in the wind we have today. It's easy to forget that each of us is born with a sin nature. That means that we are born selfish and rebellious at heart. And because of that sin nature that we have, each of us every day of our lives rebels against God, commits sin every day. Every day we think things or we do things that fall short of God's perfection. We do things or we think things that we shouldn't or we do things or think things or don't do things and don't think things that we should. That's called sin. Sin is a crime. It's treason against the God who created us. Oh, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? See, outside of Christ, each of us stands convicted, guilty as charged. We, we stand convicted in God's courthouse. And when we, when we stand convicted in God's courthouse, it's one thing to remember that we stand convicted. It's a whole other thing to remember what the punishment for that conviction is. Our crime is rebellious treason against the eternal sovereign of the universe. So the only fitting sentence to treason against the eternal sovereign of the universe is an eternity suffering his wrath in a place called hell. No possibility of parole, no pardon, no commutation of sentence, only an eternity enduring the all-powerful wrath of the eternal God of the universe. It's easy to forget we've been saved from that, isn't it? It's easy to forget that Jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay that 
payment for us. It's easy to forget that He died in our place. He suffered the wrath of the Father in our place so that we wouldn't have to. He took our sentence, our sentence that couldn't be commuted. He took our sentence. He became sin for us. He bore our guilt and shame and became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He exchanged himself for us. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy to forget that God freely offered us salvation and forgiveness and righteousness and victory and new life. And he did that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to his word alone, for God's glory alone. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy to forget that as soon as we trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, that God saved us. And not only did he save us for a moment, he permanently sealed us with his Holy Spirit. It's easy to forget that from the moment of our salvation, we are empowered and we're gifted by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he gives us the strength to have victory over sin in our day-to-day, in our day-to-day lives. See, in our day-to-day, in the, the monotonous routines that we go through in our lives, you know, Monday always follows Sunday, right? Every calendar I've ever seen, Monday follows Sunday, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then I, I call it the hamster wheel, right? And we get on the hamster wheel of life, and it seems to be a day-to-day monotonous routine. And in that hamster wheel of life, in that day-to-day monotonous routine, it's easy to forget that Jesus is coming back soon. He's going to break through that monotony. It could even be today. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy to go along and go along and go along and forget But here's the thing. And even as I go through that, I can look at the looks on your faces. We all know that. Just about everybody in here knows all that. We've heard it. We've heard it. And we've heard it. Can you imagine the first time, if it would be the first time that you ever heard that Jesus, who shed his blood for you and who saved you, If you heard that there's a possibility that he could come back today, if that was the first time that you'd ever heard that, can you imagine how excited you'd be? I know how excited I was earlier in the week, even though a hurricane was coming and causing it to happen. I know how excited I was to hear that my grandsons were coming and their parents. (laughs) Right? We, We get excited for that. But we have heard it so many times that it becomes routine. Yeah, I know Jesus could come back. You know all that. You've been established in those things. I know that those things have been preached in this church for over 50 years. And I know for a fact they've been preached here regularly over the past over five years. Listen to me, you don't need novelty to stir you up. You don't need bright ideas to stir, to stir you up. You don't need the latest motivational or self-help talk to stir you up. You don't need fads or movements or programs or events or special meetings to stir you up. All you need is to be persistently stirred up by remembering the gospel, by remembering who you are in Jesus. 
How can we as a church prevent falling into monotony? How can we overcome monotony? How can we as a church keep things fresh? By being persistently stirred up by the only thing that needs to stir us up, and that's the gospel. So I want to stir you up persistently. And I want to let you know that for as long as the Lord has me filling this pulpit, and I pray it's until you have to carry me away or Jesus carries me away, one of the two, for as long as I'm going to be in this pulpit, I'm going to stir you up persistently with the gospel by God's grace. That's what we need. I also want to stir you up passionately. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up, stir you up by way of reminder. Once again, if you circle in your Bible, you might want to circle that, stir you up by way of reminder. Peter, as he's writing this, he's making these people a promise. He's telling them that as long as he has breath in his body, that he's going to do one thing. He's going to stir them up. With the gospel. That word that's translated stir there, it's, a, it's an interesting word in the original language. It carries the idea of, of being awakened. It's used in a couple of different ways throughout the New Testament. One way is either when somebody is, is suddenly awakened from sleep, or it's even used for the way that a storm is awakened out of, out of the water or out of the, the sky. It's the idea of suddenly being awakened. Now I know that none of you in here, nobody in here, Maybe I ought ought to be careful because I don't want to lie in church. But, you know, I know nobody in here wants to ever admit to drifting off during church. Nobody in here ever, you know, starts to doze off in the middle of a sermon. But hypothetically, if that had ever happened to you, you'd know what this word means. You know know that feeling? It's the most awful feeling. I've been told it's the most awful feeling in the world. When, When you're trying to stay awake, you know. And, and, and the eyes start to roll back in the head and, and you're doing everything you can to stay awake, you know. And then finally when it happens, you get that sharp elbow in the ribs. Has that ever happened? Yeah, don't admit it. <laughs> don't admit it, but I can see when it happens. <laughs> and when you get that sharp elbow, you know that feeling that... Or, or it, I think worse than that is when you catch yourself. When the head starts to go... And then it gets to a certain point and gravity starts to take over. And then, and then you wake up like that. That's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? It, it? Just like the adrenaline in your body, all of a sudden it gets all charged up. That's what he's talking about here. That's the kind of, we need to be stirred up. Stirred up. It's that sudden jolt of being awakened. Peter was using every bit of his passion here to wake him up. I've, I've heard the story about uh, a pastor, or, or maybe he was just filling the pulpit here, that when, I think maybe it was when the sanctuary was in there, when he would notice that somebody was starting to drift off or whatever, he'd slam the pulpit like that. Right? And that's what Peter was doing here. Peter, Peter was, was putting every bit of passion that he could into these people to, to wake them up. When I was on vacation, I got to visit three churches outside of our area, and I've been working with one church in our area for uh, the past few months. Let me tell you a little story about those four churches. One of those churches uh, is just about 10 years old. 
So it's a, a fairly a fairly new church. And even though they're only about 10 years old, they're, they're getting ready to go through a huge transition because they're sending off their lead pastor. They're sending off their church planting pastor, the one who planted that church. They're sending him off to be a missionary. So you think about the transition that that and the turmoil that you would think that that would cause. But here's the thing about that church. They know their mission. And over the past 10 years from the time that they were planted, they have been continually stirred up to the gospel. They've been passionately stirred up for the past 10 years. And because of that, and because of seeing the environment and seeing how things are going, I have absolutely no doubt that that church will continue to passionately be stirred up, even as they send their pastor off, joyfully send him away to the other side of the world. I have no doubt that they're going to continue faithfully in that. Another church, another church that we visited, it's a little country church out in the middle of nowhere. I could draw you a map to it and you still wouldn't be able to find it. Just a little, neat little country church out in the middle of nowhere. But that little country church, like many of our churches, has been in a steep decline for several years. Earlier this year, realizing the steep decline that they've been in, they called this pastor who from the time that they called him has been passionately stirring them up, has been stirring them up. He hadn't been bringing in all these new programs, bells and whistles and bouncy houses and slides and, you know, he hadn't been doing all that. He's been faithfully, passionately preaching the gospel, teaching them how to worship in song. He's been doing those things. What we saw when we visited that little church was just beautiful. It was beautiful. This church that had been drifting and going into steady decline, now it was alive. You know, it reminded me so much. I, I sat there and I, I kind of smiled and I was like, this is, this is pretty close to like being at home, seeing what's, what God's been doing here. Those, those people in that church, they were passionately stirred up to do the work of the ministry. He, that <laughs> pastor was so funny. He came up to me, uh, and, and right before the service started, he leaned over and he said, he said, did you get a bulletin? I said, I said, yeah, we, we got a bulletin. He said, I'm just so excited. He said, this is the first time we've ever printed 60 bulletins. We ran out. I said, do you want mine? <laughs> But I mean, he was just so excited about that. And it was so exciting to see how people were loving on each other and how people were greeting each other. And it wasn't about setting up programs to do that. It was just the love of Christ growing the people together as a family and pouring out onto the guests who were there. Another church. Wasn't such a good story. At one time, that church had over 600 in Sunday school. They were known for just having this magnificent Sunday school program. Had over 600. The Sunday that we were there, they had 30 in worship. So picture the size of a sanctuary that would hold a church, uh, contain a congregation that could have 600 in Sunday school. That's how large this auditorium, this sanctuary was, and 30 people in it. 
several years ago during the steep decline that that church was going through, they said, well, we'll stop the decline by calling a pastor to come fix it. You know the story, right? Let's call a young preacher so he can bring the young people in here. You might not know that, but I've heard it a million times. And you know what that really means when a church says that? That means we're going to call a pastor in here to do the work that we're supposed to be doing. And we're going to sit here and snooze while he goes to do the work of the ministry. That never works. Never works. The church has to be stirred up to do the work of the ministry. That Sunday on the way back, you know, and we don't, whenever we visit other churches, we don't ever do it to go be critical or to go wag a finger or anything like that. We we, we just want to go worship and love Jesus and worship with people. But one thing about halfway back home from that visit, Rand and I kind of looked at each other and did did you notice anything? The the people just didn't interact with each other. You know, they came and they greeted us and they shook hands and, you know, welcome and good to have you here. Then go and sit and just sit. Before the church, I mean, you know, the preacher obviously didn't have to get up and do what I had to do this morning and get y'all settled down (laughs) to get started. And he didn't have to do what, by God's grace, happens after every Sunday here when we just hang around forever. They just were there. They definitely weren't passionately stirred up to do the work of the ministry. Now, as tragic as that church was, the fourth church, I think, is even more tragic than that. That church has been in a, hasn't been in a steep decline. It's been just in a slow, steady, almost imperceptible decline for at least 40 years. By all assessment, including their own assessment, they're dead. If you ask them, they would say, yes, we're a dead church. For at least 40 years, they've been slowly, steadily drifting into the grave. Four churches. One of those churches has stayed passionately stirred up. One is being passionately stirred up again. They're being awakened from their sleep. One is wanting to stay asleep, expecting their pastor to be the only one who's stirred up. And the fourth one is comatose, with little hope of being stirred up. Now, I don't tell you that to brag on some and to wag our fingers at others or to puff ourselves up or anything like that. I'm telling you that to be a warning and to be a reminder for us. Complacency kills churches. An inward focus kills churches. Forgetting about our mission Forgetting that our mission is outside of these walls kills churches. 
Starting to worry more about our building and our money and our time and our stuff more than about reaching the lost outside these walls. That kills churches. Give me an amen on that. That kills churches. By God's grace, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to passionately stir you up by way of reminder. And as long as each of you have breath in your lungs, then you need to passionately stir each other up to reminder. Our mission is to bring new life to our neighbors and the nations. We need to passionately, continually remind each other of that. Stir each other up. I want to stir you up persistently and I want to stir you up passionately. Also, I want to stir you up to preparation. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, since I know that the jumping, or jumping, listen to me. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Now, don't get any hope. There's no direct transfer to that, all right? I'm... <laughs> Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. See, here's the thing. Peter knew because of prophecies that Jesus had told him years before and because of all the circumstances that were going on in his life, Peter knew that his time on earth was was short. He was in prison when he was writing this letter. Basically, he was on death's row. He knew that his time was short. And knowing that his death, knowing that his departure was near, that, 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 that'll give you all kinds of clarity, won't it? That'll give you all kinds of perspective. But you and I don't, don't have that kind of insight. I, I, I don't think anybody in here knows the time of their departure, do they? Nobody in here knows when the Lord's going to take us out of here. But we don't have to have that kind of insight to know what we're supposed to be doing, do we? None of us knows when we're going to die. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. As far as being your pastor, as I told you, I, it's my intent to be here until I die or until Jesus takes me out of here or something. You, you, when you got we got to make these ramps and you got to wheel me up to this, this pulpit. I'm, that's, that's what my desire is. One of the risks of preaching a passage like this is people might look at it and say, oh, the preacher's getting ready to leave. No, I, I don't want to, I want to be here as long as Jesus will have me here. But here's the reality. We don't know, do we? We don't know. I could walk in that parking lot and get run over by a bus. See, I've said that so many times about, you know, what happens if I get run over by a bus? How are we going to know that? And then when Chosen Road was here at uh, outside the walls and there was that big bus up there that they parked up there, somebody came up to me during that service and they said, is that the bus that's going to run over you? <clears throat> Jonathan, don't run over me with that bus, would you? <laughs> but here's, we don't know, do we? We don't know. It was a wonderful thing to be gone for two weeks and to know that things were going to be all right here without me. It was a wonderful thing to remember that this is God's church. It's not mine. God can run this church just fine without me, and he can run this church just fine without you. There's not a one of us here that's indispensable. Now, does that mean we're irrelevant? Of course it doesn't mean we're irrelevant. 
That doesn't give us an excuse to slack off and sit on the sidelines and say, well, you know, this place can run just fine without me. No, we're, we're not irrelevant, but at the same time, we're not indispensable. If we start to think that we're indispensable, do you know what happens? As soon as we start to think that we're indispensable, then we forget to train up our replacements. As soon as we start to think that we're indispensable, we forget to make disciples who will make disciples. I want to stir us up to be prepared. The reality is, every local church, including Parkview Baptist Church, is temporary. Did you know that we are meeting in temporary facilities this morning? We are. And and not only is every church temporary, meeting in temporary facilities, every pastor is an interim pastor. (laughs) True? I'm not going to be here forever. This building's not going to be here forever. Tell me where the church at Ephesus is today. Not there, is it? And that church had Paul as a pastor, and John as a pastor, and Timothy as a pastor. Everyone is temporary. If this church building, by God's grace, stands for another 50 years, the folks in here and the folks up here are going to look a whole lot different than it does today. And we need to keep that perspective now. And we keep that perspective now and continually prepare for that. We don't want this, we don't want somebody to look back 40 years from now and say, yeah, church at Parkview, man, it's been in just a steady decline for the past 40 years. No, we want the people 40 years from now who look different than us to be carrying on this work of the gospel. Amen? The only way that's going to happen is if we make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples and we train them and we teach them everything that Jesus has commanded them to do. It doesn't mean that we build up big bank accounts waiting for something to happen. No, there are plenty of dead churches around with big bank accounts. It means that we raise up disciples, that we train up people, that we train our replacements. I want to stir us up to win the lost. I want to stir us up to make disciples. Now, today was each one reach one Sunday, and the idea was for each of us to reach out and bring one person with us. Now, some of you did, some of you didn't, some of you tried really hard, and it just didn't work out, all of those, all of those kinds of things. But I want us to, I want to stir us up for the future by reminding us that every Sunday, not just every Sunday, every day, is each one reach one. We are expected as believers to multiply ourselves. Now tonight we're going to launch the new church year. We're going to seat our new committees and I, I, I want each of you to come and be a part of that, if you're, especially if you're on a committee, if you're part of the inner workings of this church. I, I want You need to be a part of that. But here's the thing, whatever job that you have in the church, that's not your job to hold on forever. It's your job to seek out and train up your replacement. How many times have I heard it from everybody? I've heard it for years. Well, you know, just nobody wants to step up and do anything. Well, of course not. We got to go get them. 
We've got to bring them along. Nobody's, nobody's going to stand there and say, um, you know, there were only a few of us that raised our hands and say, hey, we'll do whatever. We've got to seek them out. We've got to train them up. We've got to be training our replacements. We've got to be seeking and calling and persuading and training and raising up the next generation. Now, here's something on this next generation thing. I've heard this for years, this illustration, and it bothers me. I think we need to just get it out of our mind. You hear the illustration about running a relay race? You know how relay races work, right? Somebody got the baton in their hand, and, and the whole thing is about passing on the baton to the next generation. I don't like that illustration. I don't think it's a biblical. I don't think it's a good church model illustration. Because when you run a relay, the person who has the baton in their hand, as soon as they hand the baton off to the next person, what do they do? They fall down and chill out and don't do anything. This isn't about handing it off to somebody else and just quitting. No, it's about us, all of us, all ages, all demographics, all, all of us, all stages of our sanctification, all of us coming alongside each other and finishing the race together, running the race well together. Training up your replacement doesn't mean that you're training, it, training them up so that you can pass it on and quit. No, it's about so each of us can finish well. I want to stir us up to prepare the next generation to do the work of the ministry. Prepare disciples. Well, as you can tell, I'm back from vacation a little bit stirred up, right? And I know how it is. You go home for lunch, and don't do it if you're coming to my house for lunch because I want you to talk about me behind my back. It hurts my feelings when you talk about me in front of me. (laughs) But you'll go to lunch, and you'll be like, oh, the preacher was fired up. We'll give him a couple of weeks to get over that. Listen, if I'm the one who stirs you up, then it's not going to last. We need the Spirit of God to stir us up. If being on vacation and seeing different things and all that, if that's what stirred me up, then you're right, it's not going to last. We need to be stirred up by the Holy Spirit of God. So here's your takeaway this morning. Your takeaway is pretty simple. I want each of you, each of us, to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will stir you up. Pray he'll stir you up to remember your own salvation story. Pray that he'll stir you up to remember the mission that he saved you to do. Pray that he'll stir you up to remember the work of bringing others along with you. Here's the thing. You can't remember that if you've never known Jesus in the first place. So if that's you here this morning, I want to stir you up to know Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior. You can know him like that today. All you have to do is trust that Jesus is who he said he is. And that he did what he said he did. All you have to do is believe that what he has said he's done in his word is true. And that he is the incarnate word of God. The word of God, the the flesh. God become flesh to dwell with us and take our place on the cross. 
And he lives today to give you new life in him. Really, the Bible sums it up better than I could. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. And you'll be saved. If you're a believer and you want to join with us as a covenant member of Parkview Baptist Church, then um, I can't think of a better family to join than this one. I'd ask that you just come forward and let me tell you how you can start that process today. But more importantly than that, if you need to know Jesus as your Savior, don't leave this place without knowing that you have a relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You um, that Your Word never changes. Father, we thank you that your gospel never changes. And Father, we thank you that your power, that you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Father, we thank you that your power is not in our delivery, is not in our gimmicks, it's not in our gadgets, but Father, that your power is in your word. And Father, we thank you for your spirit's presence here with us this morning. Now, Lord, I would ask that those who are gathered with us this morning that have been, that your spirit has shown them their need for a Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. And Father, if your spirit has convicted any among us that, that it's time for them to quit sitting on the sidelines and to come and be a covenant part of this body of believers here at Parkview. Father, I'd ask that your, um, that your spirit wouldn't let them go until they're obedient. Father, for those of us who have been, who have become complacent, who've started to snooze in our walk with you, Lord, would your spirit stir us up? Father, would this fresh new season of life here at Parkview, Father, would it be would it be a time of stirred up, passionate believers who remember and proclaim the gospel? Father, may we make disciples like we've never done before. Father, may we be faithful to do the work that you've called us to do like never before. Father, we ask your spirit to empower us to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.